Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, can you hear me? Excellent. Hi, I'm Jen, or Jenny. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, I'm sorry because it's a little bit weird to meet like this, but uh, I have been at ENC since Easter with my family. You met my Irish husband a few moments ago. Um, just to introduce myself, I am mostly a psychotherapist. I am married to Andy. We have a six and an eight-year-old. Um, and yeah, we moved to Exeter at Easter and we made a beeline for ENC because um, I used to be at church in London with John and Joe before they started ENC. So they seemed like a safe pair of hands to head for. So today we are continuing the series that we started last week looking at Colossians. Now, if you were around in the summer or if you're particularly diligent at watching the YouTube channel, you might have spotted that my husband actually preached on this exact passage about a month ago in the summer. Uh, you should obviously feel free to go back and have a look at it, compare us, make notes, feedback to us. I feel like that would be really helpful for our marriage. Um, so, Colossians 1, 15 to 23. This is a passage which is full of really important theology and some really big ideas, um, which to me feels quite intimidating. Uh, in fact, Tom Wright, some of you will have heard of him, very famous theologian, has said that it's perhaps the most important Christological passage in the New Testament. Or as my husband kind of compassionately put it to me as I was preparing, get this wrong, get everything wrong. <laughs> So, and we're looking at this passage uh, at the end of a very significant week in the life of our nation, you know, as we've spoken about. And I imagine that probably in the room there are very different thoughts and feelings about the death of the Queen and the end of her reign. And when something so big happens that everybody is talking about and it's on all of the media channels, you can't escape it, it can sometimes feel quite hard to connect to that personally. I wonder if any of you met her. Can you put your hand up if you ever met the Queen? Anyone there? A little bit shaky. There we go, one over there. I imagine if you met her that maybe this week has felt a little bit different. And of course, if you knew her, then, then this would be a really meaningful week for you. Um, I don't know if any of you saw, there was a story that was on Sky News and it did the rounds on social media this week of a guy who'd worked for the Queen for a long time sharing this really beautiful story about her. Uh, and it was how they'd been walking together, I think, on the hills around Balmoral. And uh, they bumped into a couple of American hikers who didn't recognize the Queen. And, uh, but they got chatting, and uh, you know, they were saying, oh, where are you from? Do you live around here? And she said, no, well, I live in London, actually, but I've got a, I've got a holiday home just over the hill. Um, and they said, oh, have you been coming here long? And she said, yeah, yeah, since I was a little girl, about 80 years now. And uh, they, were, they said, well, have you ever met the Queen? And, uh, and she said, uh, no, no, I haven't actually, but, but Dick here, he's met her quite a lot. And uh, they had this chat, and, and they never quite, they never worked it out. And um, she, they wanted to have a photo taken with her head of security, who'd, um, because he'd met the Queen. Uh, but she, she managed to get them a picture with her in there as well. And, um, 
I just think that's such a beautiful story because it just shows her sense of humor. And, uh, and I imagine those Americans as well. I imagine that this week, you know, it really meant something to hear the news that the Queen had died, that they'd had that really uh, personal and amazing encounter with her. And the reason I share that is because, you know, today's passage is full of momentous, like cosmically significant information, and it can be hard to make sense of in a, on a personal level. And I think, you know, story is really the way in for us. You know, as a therapist, uh, I used to be an actress. I love stories. I need stories, really, to move me and to connect to. And, and I think I'm much more likely to be changed by something that moves my heart and stirs my emotions, rather than something that just stimulates my thinking. And, and maybe that's true for some of you. I'm sure we all have different personalities, but I want to be really honest at the outset about what I'm going to try and do today. My longing is that as we read and engage with this passage of scripture together, that our hearts would really be stirred. You know, I don't want this to feel like a theological lecture and like an, like an edifying, uh, thought-provoking encounter, but something that's a little bit more like the experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus after they had spoken with Jesus. And they turned to each other saying, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us? So, Holy Spirit, that's far more than I can accomplish in my strength uh, right here, right now. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something in each of us in these coming minutes, that as we read this scripture together, that you would show us Jesus, that you would stir our hearts to encounter you once again. Amen. So, this passage is all about Jesus. Uh, if you remember from last week, Colossians uh, is a letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. So it starts with a kind of uh, dear church. And Paul says, I am giving thanks for you as a church ever since I've heard about you. Because this isn't a church that Paul has actually planted. It was planted by someone called Epaphras. And Paul says, ever since I've heard about you guys existing, I've been thanking God for you and praying for you. And, and here's what I'm praying for you. He says, I'm praying this for you. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying you would grow in your faith. I'm praying that you would bear fruit. I'm praying you'd remember the amazing story that you are now a part of. And then as we get to the start of today's passage, Paul is still praying for them. And he kind of starts, kind of starts preaching as he prays, really. It's a prayer, but it's also you know, a bit of a preach. And he's praying, this is what I'm praying you would remember above everything. And he fixes their attention on Jesus. Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is not just at the center of their faith and our faith, their community, our community here. He's not just king in their hearts and over their lives, but Jesus is at the center of everything, everywhere. Everything in the cosmos, everything of the world that they have seen and encountered and everything beyond that everything that they've experienced, everything in their lives and in our lives is to be understood through Jesus. Just like uh, Betty was saying with that quote from um, C.S. Lewis. 
He was there at the start of everything. He will be there at the end. Verse 16 says, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is somehow in the fabric of everything. Now, that's a really big idea, and I wonder what we do with that. When something is really big and impressive, it can be hard to relate to. It's a bit like standing in front of a palace, like Buckingham Palace or Versailles or, you know, name your big fancy palace, and being really impressed, but not really knowing what else to do. Do we go inside? Are we supposed to just stand outside and look and be amazed? It's almost too big to make sense of or to know how to relate to. So here's how I find my way in. The passage starts uh, with this verse, which should come up on my slides. Here we go. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Or as the message puts it, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. Looking at Jesus tells us everything about who God is. Because at the heart of our faith is this beautiful story about a God who is so deeply misunderstood, so pained by the immense distance between God and what God has created, and all the ways that we get it wrong, and all the the ways that we disconnect ourselves from the beating heart at the center of the universe, that this God comes to live among us, to become a man, to literally sit next to us and laugh with us and cry with us and eat with us and sleep in the next room. God comes and shows us what God is really like, what God really cares about, what God's personality is. And I find this deeply moving. This God wants to be known and seen and understood, just like we long for those things. In my work as a therapist, I am so often struck by how deeply we all want to be understood, to be really seen and really known, and then to be loved and accepted for who we are. How humbling is it to realize that God also seeks that? This God wants to be loved up close and not at a distance. And I know it's a lot easier for people who happened to be alive 2,000 years ago and living in a certain part of the world to benefit from those people who actually got to hear Jesus laugh, who were looked in the eye by him, or, or even healed by him. But for those of us who didn't get to be there, and that actually includes the church at Colossae, because um, Colossae is in modern Turkey. It's not in Palestine or Israel. Those are not people who would have met Jesus face to face. For the rest of us, we have the stories. And it's the stories of Jesus that make this verse, this image of the invisible God, mean something to me. I wonder if you can think of one of the Jesus stories maybe something from the Gospels, that really means something to you. It, it might be just the one you remember first, but it might be one that you feel like you have a deep connection with. Maybe it's Zacchaeus who climbs up a tree just to get to see Jesus, never imagining for a moment that Jesus will want to see him 
And then Jesus invites himself around for dinner to his house. Maybe it's the woman who's caught in adultery and dragged, humiliated, before a group of men who are ready to stone her to death. And then Jesus just disarms them all and just shows such compassion and kindness to her. Maybe it's Jesus calling the most unlikely bunch of disciples, the people that you know, no one had any real respect for, the fishermen, the tax collectors. Maybe it's Jesus appearing to the women on Easter Sunday who were the only ones who were there in the garden grieving, like just weeping and longing for Jesus. So many extraordinary stories we have. Those are obviously a few of my favorites. But, you know, think about what story is it that means something to you about Jesus? And just for a moment, imagine what it would have been like to be seen by Jesus like that. Just for a moment, imagine what it might have been to experience what it is that you love so much about Jesus in that story. That feeling, that moment, that is God showing their real nature to you. That goodness, that integrity, that love, that tenderness, that understanding, that is the invisible God that God so wants you to know. That is what it means that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That is how God wants to be known by you, by us. And then this passage takes that precious insight, that moment of knowing and being known, that intimacy, and says this, this, this is at the heart of everything. Jesus, the Jesus you know or can know, holds everything together, the beating heart at the center of time and creation. As verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You have a key, if you like, to the palace, a way in. And of course, it is all too much for our brains to take in. And that's why Jesus comes down in a shape that we can recognize and make some sense of. And what's more, it is the God of the universe's great joy to be known in that amazing, intimate, small way. Verse 19 says, and I love this verse, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God becoming a human and having to eat and sleep and use whatever they had as a toilet 2,000 years ago. That wasn't a chore. It wasn't an uncomfortable necessity. It wasn't eye roll from God, the only way to get our attention. This incarnation, this miracle of being fully human and at the same time fully God was something God chose and actually something God was pleased to choose maybe even enjoyed. That tells us that intimacy and closeness is something God longs for. Tom Wright actually says that humanity was designed to be the perfect vehicle for God's self-expression within his world. 
It wasn't like an afterthought or a kind of a bit of a, an, a difficult fit. It, he was designed. And if you think about it, man and woman were made in the image of God originally. So it's, it's kind of a fulfillment of that, to have them fully together, fully God, fully human. Tom Wright says the incarnation cannot, by definition, squeeze either divinity or humanity out of shape. So... The first half of this passage, this prayer of Paul's, is inspiring the church, if you like, to know and to remember and be encouraged by the fact that the Jesus they know, the Jesus they've been told about, the Jesus they have heard stories about, the Jesus who wasn't even far away in history from them, the Jesus who was human and challenged things that were wrong in their world and noticed the people who were in pain in their community and who healed people and included them and loved them and laid down his life for them, the Jesus they can relate to. This Jesus is God in human form, the God who holds the universe together and has authority over it all. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry, mine. And we can think of that sometimes as God going, mine, it's mine. What if it's a mine of recognition, like, it's mine, it's mine, that's mine. I love that and that place. I made that and they're mine and they're mine because I love them and I made them. And then the second half of this passage says, not only is that true, but because Jesus is Lord over everything, his work in the world is to draw all things back together into wholeness and beauty and everything he wanted them to be. And verse 20 describes this uh, as God's work, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the message puts it like this, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated parts of the universe People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured from the cross. Now, what I've tried to do here is take an enormous, really big theological passage uh, and take us into it through something intensely personal and intimate. And now I want us to zoom back out because I think we can often think about what happens at the cross at being just about our individual lives or our sin or God's relationship with humans. And that is a crucial part of it, but we mustn't let that blind us to the cosmic scope of what happened at the cross because the story that we have stepped into through Jesus is also transcendent and dazzling and universal and all-encompassing. The goodness, the love we meet in Jesus is also the force at the heart of everything and is working not just to transform and heal us, but everything, the whole of creation. I want to show you a a film clip in just a moment. You can have a break from my voice for a few minutes. And it's a film that... um, I used to work for an organization called Tear Fund that some of you will have heard of, and um, a couple of years ago, I wrote this film for them. Um, And it's a film uh, which was designed for Tear Fund to kind of explain their theory of poverty. But really, 
It's, the sto- it's this story that we're telling, and it was based on this passage. And it's a way of, it, of telling, I think, this story of what God is doing in trying to reconcile and heal the world. So hopefully we're now going to watch this. For a few- it's annoying how easily we break things. What good is something that's broken? And what about the things we break that we can't throw away? The people we hurt? The situations we mess up? The unjust structures that we ignore? The ways we exert power over the poor? When it's played out on a global scale, it does more than just cause us pain as individuals. Communities, cities, nations suffer and struggle, compete and even fight. And this brokenness damages the planet itself. We are careless with this precious earth. We are greedy for all it gives. Natural resources are used up and fought over. The earth groans and suffers. This brokenness is where poverty comes from. Poverty isn't just a lack of money. It is a deep brokenness in the world that we experience in all kinds of ways. In hunger and insecurity, thirst and a lack of education, loneliness, sickness, violence and hopelessness. Our relationships with each other are damaged. Our relationship with the physical world is damaged. Even our relationship with ourselves. Because we don't know who we are or where we belong. At the heart of all this brokenness is our broken relationship with God. Who made everything in love and made it good. We have pulled away from Him and from His ways. And we are left diminished, unsure of who we are or what we can do. All of us are affected, but some of us suffer more than others. What do we do with so much brokenness? Is that just the way it has to be? We believe that God has always been interested in mending things. And in Jesus, God came close and showed us how. Jesus doesn't just patch things up. The cross and the resurrection make possible a whole new creation. Not by throwing the old things away, but by redeeming and restoring them. And as we continue to be restored and healed, and our relationships are restored, God invites us to join His work. We get to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. And it transforms all of those broken relationships. With others, with the physical world, with ourselves, and with God. It's a ministry that is bigger than us. This is God's story and God's work. 
And one day, we believe it will reach its climax. When Jesus returns and ushers in a life of wholeness for everyone once more. This is the extraordinary and enormous story that is God's. And this is the story that we belong to. It's the story that Paul is urging us to keep front and center. As the message puts it, we need to stay constantly tuned into the message or do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, says the NIV. There is so much in our world that is broken. There is so much in this city which is broken and unjust. There are things in our families which are painful and imperfect and in our hearts. There's plenty in the church and even in this one which is flawed. But there is a beautiful, beautiful story that we have stepped into through Jesus, which is full of hope. And those moments that we remembered, maybe, as we thought about the stories of who Jesus is. I was so struck in worship today that God is actually better than that. God is actually better than we can imagine. Like the most wonderful, extraordinary, you know, experience we have of God. God is actually even better than that. And this story is bigger than us, bigger than we can understand and make sense of, but we are a part of it. It's the story we belong to that tells us who we are. It's a story that gives us purpose and meaning and a future. And our relationships and our conversations and our work, whatever it is we're going to do tomorrow, our conversations, our prayers, find meaning in this story because they are part of the reconciliation of all things. Let's pray together. Father, it is so hard to wrap our heads around such an enormous and a beautiful story, but how we long to hold on to it and to find our place in it. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us in Jesus and let us continue to know you more, Jesus. Would you show us more of who you are? Would we not let go of those stories and that encounter and the story in which we find our purpose? As we go out into this week, let us go out holding on to the enormity of that beautiful story of which we are a part. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I want to just close by, we're going to have a time of, of prayer ministry, and I'm going to get uh, Chris up in a minute just to, to, to take over. But um, I guess there's two things that I really want to encourage possible responses to, to what we've looked at today. I would really love us to pray for you if when we were talking about Jesus and that what it is to, to encounter Jesus, to be looked at, be seen by Jesus, to 
experience that, if that feels distant, if that feels like you've let go of that or you've never had that or you just want to get back to that, we would just so love to pray for you to have that experience again today in that encounter. And if you feel like whatever is going on in your life that you've lost that sense of belonging to that mighty, amazing, cosmic, beautiful story and you just want to pray that you would find that purpose again and find yourself again in that story again, we would love uh, to pray for you. So um, there's a starter for 10 and, uh, and I'll hand over to, to Chris.